He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Have you ever wondered why good girls like bad boys? I'm not a gossip follower or a celebrity follower by any means. But when I heard Whitney Houston was dating Bobby Brown, I know I wondered why good girls like bad boys. I don't know either of them, but Whitney had a wholesome, clean image and Bobby did not. When the movie I Want to Dance with Somebody came out, it became clear for me to see what happened in that case. In case you missed it, I'm going to delve into four reasons why good girls like bad boys in this podcast because maybe you have that question too. Thanks for joining me today. This is actually a listener question. I appreciate all the feedback and questions that you all give me. This show is for you to help you understand yourself better and understand the human experience better so that you can heal yourself if you need to, grow yourself, know yourself, be yourself, love yourself, and share yourself. We all need each other to be the best that we can be, so we all share our beautiful gifts with the world. So as we become wiser and feel safer in our skin, that can only benefit us and the other people, right? So if the show benefits you and you'd like to support, you can do that by donating at buymeacoffee.com forward slash it's not you, it's me. Reviewing the podcast or sharing it with someone you think can benefit from the content. Thanks. Okay, so let's go back to middle school and high school days when you got your first crush. Who did all the girls like? They all didn't like different guys. They all liked the same guys, right? I know that was the case for me when I was having my first crush. Everybody liked the same guys. They liked the guys that looked like the pinup guys or the ones that the media told them to like. If Italian stallion types were in, those are the popular guys. If it's the tall Nordic types... That was popular. The girls also liked the confident guys who stood out for some reason. There's your star athletes, the confident funny guys, the rebels, the handsome guys, or the guys with the money. Girls don't know what to like. <laughs> They're immature, rebellious, and want to break away from their parents to be more like their friends. And this means that they often go for the bad boys. When we're young, we're immature. We don't know what we want, so if a bad boy comes along and starts sweet-talking or flexing, girls fall for it because they don't have any life experience yet. When I was in high school, there was this 14-year-old freshman who was going out with a senior, and I didn't know either one of them really, but I'd look at them and think, what in the world? She's too young to be dating anybody, number one, and seniors aren't supposed to be interested in freshmen. Not only that, but she was really timid. 
she would hang on to him for dear life. Looking back now, what I think was going on there was that the girl had a bad home life. She was looking for a bad boy who was big and strong to protect her from whatever boogeyman she feared. The problem with this scenario is that if the bad boy is aggressive or loud, he's going to be the same way with you. So he might scare people away, but he's also probably scary himself. Young girls attach themselves to bad boys can happen to anybody because girls are still figuring things out. But the problem is that a lot of girls get older, but they don't grow up. They don't learn from their experiences and stay immature. Maybe they give their power to other people or are waiting to be rescued, so they keep putting their faith in the wrong people. If this is you, it's time to wake up. Put on your big girl panties and get in the driver's seat of your life. By the time you're in your early 20s, you should have had your heart broken a time or two and be beyond this stage. To recap, the first reason why good girls like bad boys is because of immaturity. They don't know better and they're just figuring things out. And that's reasonable, right? We can give them all a break for that. Okay, so now we're in our early 20s. We have some life experience and some good girls are still choosing bad boys. What's up now? It could be codependency. Codependency is when a person plays a supporting role in their own life and a starring role in someone else's. It's called codependency because co means two and it takes two. One to play small and the other to take up more space than is rightfully theirs. So it's a boundaries issue. If I blame you for everything that goes wrong in my life, I'm being codependent. I'm being small and making you responsible for me, even though you don't really have that power. And you are probably going along with the program. If you're acting as if it's true by bailing me out of bad situations, taking the blame for things that go wrong, and taking responsibility for my emotions and well-being, that's what I'm talking about. You're rescuing me from this situation that I could use to learn from and grow up. And as long as this continues, I don't have to take responsibility for myself. I can keep on playing small and blaming you. This is why it's so hard to break this pattern. It serves a purpose for each person. It lets one person feel good about helping the other and lets the other person off the hook for their whole lives, essentially. Sometimes the good girl chooses the bad boy because she has him on a pedestal. If he's rich or handsome or has some quality that others admire him for, she can feel more important just because she's with him. She's an extension of him. So she dismisses the things that he does that makes him a bad boy. This is a sign of codependency too because she just depending on, on his status to give her status. It's like the trophy wife situation. So let's look at this. Here I am, a good girl. I see this poor, unappreciated guy over here who's a diamond in the rough. I think if he just had a chance, people would see what a great guy he is. Or maybe if he just had enough love, he wouldn't be so mean. And I make it my job to see that he gets that fair shot or has that love that's going to help him turn things around. I see myself as a hero and I see him as a victim of bad luck, prejudice, oppression, or whatever. If I can just get through to him that he's amazing, he can thrive. He'll love me for it and we can live happily ever after. Only, it never works out that way. The hidden message that this is really sending the victim is, you are weak and you can't do this without me. The codependency is a power game. 
when the person who is being quote unquote loved and cared for gets sick of being small, they're going to blow up and blame the hero for all the things that are wrong with them. The victim is going to point out all the things that are wrong with the hero because they feel like they need to lash out. Then the victim becomes the aggressor. And the hero gets put in the, uh, you know, after everything I've done for you, how can you treat me like this place? And basically changes places with the victim. Because this is a covert power game, the person being rescued just flipped the script. Now the victim is on top. But this doesn't feel good because now the hero is playing the victim and needs to be saved. So everybody's in this game. <laughs> and the hero is treating the victim like the oppressor. And nobody wants to be the oppressor. So he chills out and everything goes right back to the messed up way that it was. And this is a self-sustaining dynamic. Everybody's comfortable in their role, so they live it. Even if it doesn't feel good, it's the devil that they know. And we all live in systems. Everyone has their place. When we step out of place, there's pressure to get back in line. What happens in a family when there's codependency is that someone's the rescuer and someone's the victim. That's usually the parents. The kids then learn those roles and take on the identity of either the rescuer or the victim. And sometimes they can opt out. When this happens, they don't rescue anyone and don't allow themselves to be rescued by anyone because they don't trust anyone. So they're super independent and don't do relationships at all, typically. Another way that this can happen is that the parents are checked out or unskilled. They don't know how to take care of their finances, emotions, self-care, household, or any number of things. The child needs to feel safe, so they end up stepping up and taking on the role of the rescuer so that someone can be in charge. They aren't skilled for this, but someone has to do it so they do their best. And now that's their role. They are the star in mom or dad's life, taking care of their emotional needs or the house so that the parents can get through. When they get in relationships with other people, they continue to do the same thing. These are the people who do all the work in the office and then get taken advantage of by their boss. These are the sober partners of alcoholics who are picking up the pieces when a relapse happens. When they are single, these are the good girls who go looking for bad boys to rescue so they can feel needed and loved. They'll say that they don't want that. They will say that this guy is different, but give it a little time and you will see that the situation they end up in is just the same because the person who needs to rescue someone will always find a person who needs to be rescued. The person who needs to be rescued will always find the person who will rescue them. It's a lock and a key. They fit. And when they connect, it feels good. It feels familiar. It feels like love. And that leads me to the third reason why good girls like bad boys. It's learned. They learned it from their parents. Now, what it is varies from person to person, but there's a program that they learn that feels familiar. It feels real. And when that bad guy comes along and he's singing his bad boy tune, it feels like chemistry, like passion, it might even feel like, oh, I met my soulmate. Codependency is learned too. That's a behavior. What I'm talking about here is a program, a negative belief. So let me give you some examples. Let's say my dad was a consistent part of my life, and then one day he's gone. No explanation. He's just gone. Or maybe there was an explanation. He ran off with another woman. All I know is he didn't take me, 
and he didn't tell me. Quite naturally, I feel abandoned. Now, because of this, I learned that love means being abandoned. And I unconsciously look for someone who's going to be likely to abandon me. How do I know that? We're always communicating things through body language and energy. The more mindful you become, the more you pick up. But somehow, we know. Because ask anyone with a love means being abandoned program how the relationships have gone. And I'll guarantee you that they've either been in a situation where their partner has left or been imprisoned or that their partner is never home. Maybe they're in the military or a workaholic or something like that. Or their partner is emotionally checked out. It's like they aren't there even if they're physically there. If we're talking about bad boys, it's probably more likely that they've left us than they're emotionally checked out. If dad was verbally abusive to me, my mom, or women in general, I might learn that women will be disrespected. So I look for a man who will disrespect me because I learned that that's what love looks like and I want to be loved. Now you might say, what? That makes no sense. That's not love. But in the mind of a child, our parents love us. That's what parents are supposed to do. So no matter how they treat us, we learn that that is love. If they put cigarettes out on us, that's love. If they sexually abuse us, that's love. If they call us names, that's love. And that's probably how we will express it or want it to be expressed to us. Lots of grown folks describe their dysfunctional, hurtful, disrespective desires as lifestyle choices when they're the result of being taught damaging perspectives. But consenting adults have a right to choose to continue dysfunctional desires. I'm saying this to give you another perspective that you might want to consider. If your parents or some other adult taught you hurtful ways to love, it might be healthier to heal the hurt and transform your definitions. True love doesn't hurt or denigrate anyone. So really, any neglectful or abusive practice that your parents or any other adult did could teach you that love is painful and that you deserve to be hurt, neglected, abused, abandoned, or criticized. If you endured that by someone who is supposed to care for you, a teacher, preacher, neighbor, older sibling, or parent, you'll probably look for a partner who will love you in the same way. This doesn't mean that you're to blame for any abuse that you endured. It means that there is something still unhealed inside. It means that there's something you probably still haven't learned. That unhealed thing is the unconscious programming that the adult taught you. That I am bad or I deserve to be hurt or nobody worthwhile would love me program. The thing that you still haven't learned is how to spot that coming and how to say no to it. Most of us have the same relationship over and over again with different people. We don't have different relationships, so most of us don't learn from our relationships. It can take a long time to become mindful and conscious. If you're listening to this, it's a call to wake up and let today be the start of something new. That's why I'm here talking about human issues, so we can all learn and grow. If you're listening to this and thinking, oh shoot, I am that good girl, or maybe I'm that bad guy, it's cool. This can happen to anybody at any time. It doesn't have to start in childhood because there's another dynamic. And there's a name for this. It's random interval reward. And what this means is if you're attracted to someone who's wishy-washy, and this could be because they aren't really into you, 
are in a relationship with someone else, are a narcissist or whatever, they sometimes are very interested and attentive and sometimes go long periods of time without contacting you. This sets up the random interval of reward. It's random so you never know when you're going to get positive attention. You never know how much of a reward it's going to be so you keep hoping that the next time it'll be like the first time or the big one. It's like playing a slot machine. You would think that getting three plays where none of the symbols line up would lead you to think there's no payoff here. But that's not how it works in most cases. In most cases, the person thinks something like, well, I've already gotten three duds, so the next time has to pay off. And $1,000 later, you're still in the hole. <laughs> it's the same with random interval reward relationship. You're hooked. And that's a bad boy who isn't ever going to do anything different than come and go whenever he wants. You don't have to have an abusive or neglectful childhood to fall for that. It's human nature. But once you know what it is, you can make a conscious choice to leave it alone. Now, let me get back to Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown to put this all together. So keep in mind, I don't know either of them from Adam. And I'm going strictly by the movie, I Want to Dance with Somebody, which may or may not be accurate, okay? For those of you who haven't seen the movie, in the movie, Whitney is the daughter of a very talented gospel singer, Sissy Houston. She's the cousin of Dionne Warwick, who's also a famous singer, so she grows up with a high-profile musicians. Whitney gets a break at 19 and becomes a recording star, too. And both of her parents are critical, but her father is overbearing and clearly using his daughter's money for his own benefit. Whitney is criticized in public for not being black enough. Whitney's best friend is also her lover, and she's a female. So people are whispering that she's a lesbian. Her father tells her that this is damaging her career. Whitney is a tomboy, jeans and t-shirt kind of girl, but her image is that of a glamour girl, so she goes along with that. And there's lots of pressure for her to conform. When she meets Bobby Brown at an award show, she feels that she's met someone who understands what it means to be a product, and she falls in love with him. Whitney and Bobby are in a limo when he proposes to her. She accepts, and that's when he drops the bomb that he's impregnated his ex-girlfriend. They argue but it doesn't stop them from getting married. <laughs> Bobby cheats on her and steals her money. Her father mismanages her money so, so badly that she doesn't have any left and has to go on tour to make more. In short, her mother used random interval reward. She was mostly supportive, but not always, so Whitney really didn't know where she stood with her and had to earn her mom's love. And her dad did the same, but far more abusive and critical in the movie than mom was and so did Bobby so was it any surprise that Whitney chose the man who was just like her parents I'd say not everyone was out to get her money everyone except her best friend saw her as an object rather than a person is it easy to know how to give and receive healthy love when that's your experience of it I don't think so okay so what do you do with all this I'm a good girl. I keep connecting with the bad boys and I'm sick of it. Now what? So the first step of anything is bringing it out of shadow and making it conscious. Today, I hope we brought some things out of shadow so they can be seen. And once we see them, we can work with them. The second step is to accept it. This isn't something that anybody has to judge. It's just human nature. This is how we are. When we know how we work, we can work with that 
to heal, grow, or make changes to make our lives more in alignment with our values and self-concept. People can't be happy if they aren't living in alignment with their values and self-concept. If I value being a good parent, I can't do things that I know endanger my kids. If I see myself as a good person, I can't be with someone who influences me to not be my best. That's what I mean. So I need to make some changes to be in alignment with my values and self-concept. That's the third step. If I have a program, like I'm not worthy of love or it's okay for men to use me, I need to neutralize that so I don't keep drawing that back into my life. There's many ways to do this. If you need some help with that, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to help. I also have a video on YouTube that shows how quickly and easily that can happen sometimes. So it doesn't have to be a lifelong thing. The fourth step is to grow your skills. Specifically, what I'd recommend is learning how to love. Loving in a healthy way is a skill. Love is more than just a feeling and following your instinct. Humans are social creatures. We're learning things unconsciously all the time from our parents, our peers, the media, and entertainment. For example, you learned the way that you speak. You learned your language, your regional accent, as well as the nuances like tone of voice and specific expressions from other people. You talk like the people around you who are most influential. Other people sound like the people who are influential to them. Love is the same. It's taught unconsciously. If you are surrounded by people who have transactional relationships, you learn transactional ways of relating. People are resources to be used rather than humans with feelings that we connect to. Maybe they're objects to be desired and admired rather than people that we relate to and listen to and consider. In love, there's give and take. In the beginning of this podcast, I talked about codependency where one person is the star of someone else's life and the sidekick in their own. In a healthy relationship, you are the star of your life and other people are the co-stars or background players. You don't get to star in someone else's life. (laughs) We call that healthy boundaries. I give only what is comfortable for me to give, not more. I accept what I genuinely want to, not what I feel obligated to. And what we give and receive from each other feels like it's of equal value over time. So nobody is carrying the other, generally. Sometimes we have to. We each pull our weight, and that's not financial. It's everything. A stay-at-home mom may contribute a clean house, taking care of the kids, arranging for home repairs and paying the bills, and a million other unseen things that makes her husband's life flow more easily. She isn't contributing money. But if her contribution feels like an equal exchange, both people are happy. If I have to take 100% responsibility for myself, and you take 100% responsibility for yourself, we're roommates, not lovers. We're not contributing to each other's lives at all or sharing our lives. There's no give and take. So this probably feels isolating, separate, and alone. That's what I mean by give and take. There's got to be a relationship. If I can't share myself, my feelings, or my experiences with you without being criticized, heard, or feeling like I have to hurry up, I probably don't feel like I can give because you aren't seeing me or appreciating me. There's no space for that. If I'm trying to share a triumph, my feelings or affection, and you feel cold, 
not receptive or distance, I probably feel like I can't take because that space is not being freely and openly offered. If I do take your time or affection, I might feel like a bully or a burden. So there's lots of skills to learn to love. There's compassion, reciprocity, humility, listening, speaking up, healthy boundaries, honesty, integrity, vulnerability, tolerance, understanding, timing, and a lot of other things. Healthy love is not about romance or attraction. (laughs) It's not about adoring somebody. It's not about the five love languages. If you don't have the skills to love, romance isn't going to help you much and the five love languages will be useless. Love is the cake. Romance and love languages are the icing. And icing without a cake is just gross. (laughs) To bring it back to why good girls like bad boys, it's because the good girls haven't learned what real love is. Maybe because they're immature and still figuring things out. Maybe they learned love in a dysfunctional way, and this can be turned around. Anyone can diffuse their negative or dysfunctional programs and learn healthier ones. Everyone can grow. I hope that if you get nothing else from this podcast, it's that. I talk about trauma and problems and dysfunction not to judge, point fingers, or criticize anyone. The point is to recognize the issue and the solutions. Most of humanity's interpersonal and psychological issues come down to two things. Unhealthy, unconscious programs and a lack of skill. When you look at it that way, we all have the power to do more and be more, don't we? Not taking advantage of that is choosing to be small. And I hope that's not you. If I can ever be of help to you in your journey to being all that you can be, please reach out. I'm here to help. Thanks for listening. If there's a topic that you'd like me to discuss, drop a line in the comments. Ciao. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.